Hey guys, I want to start off by thanking you for keeping me on the air since 2004. I'm trying to keep everything fresh and keep bringing you content that is both enjoyable and informational. So if you could help me out by hitting me up on Instagram or Facebook and giving me some suggestions for guests, topics, and questions, I'd really appreciate it. Also, I know I, you, I've, you've heard me say this. But please, 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 please take a few moments to give me a review on iTunes. It's so important to keeping me on the air. So if you want this podcast to stick around, please get on there and drop me a line. Lastly, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Been the title sponsor of the show for a long time. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20% on everything they offer. All right. Let's get into this next episode. Yeah. Exactly. Season not started over the dang for us, but, and it's been rough. Hunted Kentucky. Never saw, well, I saw two does. I uh, went bear hunting, drew a bear tag in northern Wisconsin. Uh, bear hunted nine straight days and never saw a bear. Wow. And then uh, been back here been slow here did see a decent one last night but ran out of shooting light from shell so and the team team isn't doing worth of crap either so I mean, it's just been you know we went out and did that bow fishing show with Corey broseman out in uh out on the ocean for stingrays hmm. how was that that's fun it was fun but yeah shot a lot of stingrays you know first time i ever bow fished in my life yeah, um it's different so, <laughs> Yeah, it is. So we went out and did that and did well. And then uh, we um, leave tonight to go up north uh, about an hour and a half, two hours. I'm going to duck hunt all day tomorrow and then get back and try to kill a deer. I've got, um, it's just been goofy. I mean, everything stage is set. I had all my deer perfect and then it just uh, got super hot and just miserable winds and everything was wrong so i just kind of laid off of them a little bit and uh you know now jumping into it like i said last night winds finally switched things got right and just about killed one last night so yeah so i mean i got a couple of good ones i got probably a mid 160s non-typical and uh probably a mid 170s upper 170s typical the two that I'm trying to kill, and that's over there by your place. Yeah, and you know you just can't, uh, and you know the game. You can't go in and pressure them if if things are, you know, even if the stage is set. If there's one thing wrong, I've just been like, yeah, I'm not gonna pressure them because it's it's wrong, you know. So yeah, uh, but now things should go well, and then we head to Illinois, and then uh, come home, and then we're pretty much home the rest of the year, which we don't get too much more stuff dead i'm gonna have to i'm gonna probably try to find something in texas or somewhere trying to go kill some hogs find a inexpensive hog hunt or something just go whack some hogs so we got something on film yeah god man i don't miss that that sounds miserable (laughs) yeah like having to worry about it just sounds shitty 
It is. It oh, is shitty. Man. It's like, uh, and of course, right now with contract going out, you'd like to be able to say, "Hey, this is how our year started out." Blah blah blah. Yeah. But you know, it's like crap. And then my buddy drew a really good mule deer tag. Uh, one of the guys who films for us. So he's been out west, and I haven't heard anything from him. So I'm like, I wonder how he's doing. He sends me a, I see an image come through this morning, and I'm like, great, he finally killed something. It's a picture of him with his tag all crumpled up in his mouth. Mm. Eating tag soup. I'm like, oh, great. But what do you do, you know? And and like I said, I don't know if you got any hog hunts out there. They're expensive as hell, or what you do down there. So I may be... Manazi, well, the draw just closed on the third, man. For uh, for Avelina, yeah. What about old regular hogs? You got any place to do that or not? No, there's only no. Ga- there's only game ranches that have hogs here. There's no uh-huh. no hog population in Arizona. There's All a right. couple of spots, but very, 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 very difficult. All right, so I have to look down and like. Yeah. Kentucky or down in Texas or yeah, or something like that. All right. Yeah, um, I mean, you might be able to come for deer. Um, you know, I'll tell you where to go and cut you loose. But uh, you know, you gotta have to. You're gonna have to get a tag, which is it's first come first serve, but it's kind of a pain in the ass now for out of state. So, um, okay. but I'll, you know. I could walk you through that if you want. Um, yeah, that sucks, man. I, I, uh, I too did not. I, I've, I, I've only went on one hunt. I had a very, uh, very, very busy uh, late summer, and um, I just didn't have time, and I was super, super busy with everything. So I unfortunately. Um, you know, canceled a couple hunts and just stuck around the house. And I finally went elk hunting in September. And it was a freaking shit hunt, man. It turns out that there was like a 30% die off the winter. We just weren't seeing them. Um, and not to mention there was a bunch of drama over there. The uh, caretaker of the cabin that I rent basically started some drama and kind of screwed up my plus I had a bunch of crap going on here at home and my head was just not right the whole time I feel like if all the other stuff wasn't going on I probably could have made it happen and then on top of it to make matters even like the the uh, insult to injury was actually the injury (laughs) injury uh before the insult insult I I was injured like a couple of months right before we left freaking screwed up my shoulder well i screwed up my shoulders in november of last year and it took me to about july no probably about august to feel where i wasn't in pain drawing back my bow um and now i'm actually back to lifting again which is i hadn't been able to lift so i haven't been able to lift and then a month out before i left i hurt my ankle and I'm like, what the, like, you know, I'm like, I was just starting to ramp up my freaking, you know, my cardio and all that stuff to be effective on the mountains. And I couldn't even walk, couldn't stand. Um, and I got, 
stem cell sh- injections on my shoulders and my ankle cost me a shit ton of money, which I really didn't have to spend, but I knew I needed to do it. And, um, man, it worked. I was able to, to hunt, but man, I was so far behind in what I would normally be in physical condition wise. So that made it kind of miserable on top of it. You know, it was just fucking sucked. It pissed me off because I've, I had such high hopes for that hunt um, because it's one, it's always a good hunt and two, because it was my first hunt of the fall, like my first opportunity to go. And I had put so much invested so much into it, um, both not even emotionally and financially. And uh, yeah, unfortunately the uh, it was a bust kind of really sucked, man. Yeah, and elk hunts are not getting any cheaper. I mean, even if you, you know, I mean, you uh, obviously don't have to pay the outfitter fee. No, um, but still, I mean, but still, they're expensive. By the time you fly there, I and uh, me, I don't freaking camp too much anymore. So I, I rented a, you know, rented a cabin, um, right. but rental truck, food, all that shit. You know, by the time you all said and done, you're in it five grand easy. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. yeah, and then just say if you had to pay that outfitter, you know, you're going to be another six, seven grand in it. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, you know, like this bear hunt, um, you know, I didn't have time to run back and forth, so I had two grand with an outfitter up there. And uh, I know the guy personally, and I mean, they kill a lot of bears, and this year it just didn't happen. So by the time I paid him, drove back and forth, you know, or drove up there and stayed for all those days in the motel, you know, shit, I got. in frame bear hunt. I got zero footage. I mean, I didn't even see a bear. Mm. Yeah. That's even worse when you're laying out money for the idea that, you know, for your business, like, and you know, you're freaking fail. That's why honestly, I, I always hated that, that model. So. Yeah. So I'm just like, yeah, uh, yeah, I had one outfitter call me and he wanted me to come out um, he's like, you want to come out and film, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, what kind of deal we work out? Well, there's no deal. He said, I want to be, you know, on your show. I want you to do this and this and this for me, blah, blah, blah. But you're going to pay me my full hunt. Hmm. <laughs> I said, yeah, no, that doesn't quite work that way. Because I said, you know, so by the time I'm done, I said, by the time I pay the editor, plus my editing time, mm-hmm. plus everything else, I said, you know, I'm going to have, you know, Thirty-five hundred to four thousand dollars stuck in this before I even fly out and do everything else or drive out and do all that. I said, so I'm gonna have seven grand in it, and you know you're sitting there. It's a you know a thirty-five hundred dollar hunt plus, and you want me to pay for that full thirty-five hundred dollar hunt? No, it didn't happen. No, it's better off not coming to film it, just coming hunt. <laughs> I just said, I said screw you. I'm fine. I'm, I ain't showing up, man. Yeah, so, but it is what it is. So. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, you want to talk about uh, yeah. early season stuff. Let's let's do it. Let's jump into it. Um right. Yeah, I got uh, Art Helen on with us today and uh you know, we're uh we're going to get into a little bit of uh it's 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 starting to, it's starting to feel a lot like uh the Whitetail Woods now to me. That's what October says. I don't know what it is. Even though November's really typically the but October for some reason I'm I'm thinking about whitetail. Maybe because historically that's when I've done most of my whitetail hunting is in October. Um, 
in in the last 15 plus years or so um and i'm actually getting ready right now to go whitetail hunting in new york back in the home state um so you know let's 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 talk a little bit about it's it's early season it's beginning of october um what are what are some of the things that somebody should be paying attention to right now if they're going to be hunting this early season well, you know a lot of it depends on weather uh especially early season because early season you can have such a fluctuation i mean one day it might be 80 degrees like here in wisconsin two days ago uh it was in the 70s last weekend i was bear hunting and it was 94 degrees <laughs> when i got out of my truck to walk to the tree stand and which is absolutely ridiculous now today it's a high of 44 degrees <laughs> so it, you know it's there, there's a lot to do with the weather and and the way it changes because of the winds and how you have everything set up historically most people want a western northwest wind when you're hunting in the midwest that is what most people set up for and so early season, a lot of these people oh, are I'm gonna, missing. I'm going to put the brakes on you. Why is that? Why do why do most people set up for that type of wind? Um, as historically, what happens is, as you know, your your fall starts rolling in, all your cooler weather starts dropping down. Your cooler weather starts coming in from the west and from the northwest, from from Canada, and pushing those fronts down farther south. Okay. So that warm weather, as it stays south, we're not getting those typical south winds bringing that warm air, and we're getting more cold fronts and more cold fronts. So we've got a consistent okay. more west wind or northwest wind coming from that Canadian side, pushing that in. And uh, so that becomes our typical wind here. We have, over the last few years, been getting more south winds, but our, our typical winds, when you get into that mid-october mm -hmm. uh or even even now like i said i mean all of our winds right now went from a south wind to all north northwest winds for the next 10 days with this cold front right and then we'll get some south winds as it warms up again but then all of a sudden you'll get to that end of october um and because everything will start cooling down again we'll start getting those northwest winds mm -hmm. so because of that, so many people set up for, you know, that northwest wind when they're setting their tree stands, their blinds, these things, and they, they don't think about that south wind. Hmm. So I actually found myself this year, same thing. Had a couple good bucks coming in. I've got the stand set for that location for strictly, you know, uh, west, northwest wind anything out of the south southwest southeast just was not going to happen there mm -hmm. so i found myself you know three days before bow season started i'm out hanging a new stand which i typically don't like to do that i like to have pretty much all my stuff done you know by mid-july at the absolute latest right and i don't like to be in there doing that uh but now because of that, you know, I'm starting to put more of these south stands up so I can hunt those, you know, this early season like this because bucks are so much easier to pattern. You know, especially here in Wisconsin, our season starts mid-September. You know, you go down south, 
Uh, a lot of those start, you know, September 1st, but then you get into Iowa, um, Illinois, you know, you're looking at that October time frame. And those bucks are still pretty much on a pattern before they start locking down for, you know, what they call the lull, the October lull, which I'm not a big believer in the October lull because I believe that deer still have to eat. Mm-hmm. They have to be on their feet. They have to eat at some point. They have to drink at some point. They can't lay there for that, you know, five to 10 day October law and not eat or drink or they're going to die. Mm-hmm. So they're doing something. But what I found, I believe that they do during that time is they're going to your high protein areas. And what they're doing is they're eating more of your acorns, uh, whatever you have for food plots that are high protein. The problem is they don't want to move as much during that time frame, I believe, because they know what's coming, especially your older deer. They know that the rut's coming as those daylight, you know, the daylight starts getting shorter and shorter. Times start changing. Those deer know what's going to happen within the next couple of weeks. So they're conserving as much energy as they can. We as hunters don't pay much attention to that. And so we still hunt the same way we do during that early season. Right. So if we're hunting during that early season the same way, what happens when we get into that, we're pushing those deer off of those food sources and we're educating them instead of trying to figure out a different way to get into those areas. So I think in that transition point, but before that, as we want to talk about now with the early season, these deer, you know, because you've still got leaves on the trees, you've got, um, You've got better crops that are still up. The corn's not picked yet. The beans are just starting to get, you know, picked here. Um, so those deer are still on a, a very good pattern. It's just we need to change again and be adaptable to hunt them in those certain winds because they're still going to be there, even if it's warm. I think when it's warm, people miss the boat by not having a water source on their property. Mm. That, to me, is really big. Um, especially, you know, when you get up here, it's, it's, as you go down South, they don't seem to hit it as often they they hit it, but not as often as up here in the North. And that seems counterintuitive. And no, doesn't it? it it's, it's weird. Cause we live and die by water down here in Arizona. You know, it's like, I mean, if you want to, if anybody has an, it doesn't have an idea of where to find animals and what to do. Literally all you have to do is go find a permanent water source and eventually you're going to see something. Right. And and that's the weird part is, you know, and and I guess the Southwest where you're at, that's a little bit, you know, different, probably more like it is here. But when I've done land management work and I've done it down in, you know, Kentucky, Southern Illinois, um, you get down Tennessee in those areas, those guys down there, we put in water sources and it seems like they get used about 30 to 35% of the time compared to what's getting used in Iowa, Wisconsin, Northern Illinois, Michigan. Um, it seems like up here they just get used more. And I don't know if that's because they're using a different water source and they're not using the stagnant ponds because they are... Um, there, there's so much more EHD hmm. down in that area that it's they're starting to adapt to it. I, you know, I'm not sure. 
Um, there, there's all kinds of theories and, you know, they're just theories. So, you know, we could talk about theories all day long, but I think water sources are huge, especially early when it's warm like that. Mm-hmm. Um, those deer are going to, especially, um, you know, when you get those South winds and that 80, 90 degrees and people are like, Oh, I'm not going to hunt in this. It's too early to hunt. Yeah. But that buck is patterned. Mm-hmm. You know, if that buck is patterned and he is hitting that water source or your, for your food source during daylight killable hours, why are you not hunting it? Because we're miserable. Yeah. Well, that goes, <laughs> that, that's the, that's the line that separates people who are consistently successful and those who are not, but, and, and, and really it's to each his own, man. Like if you're, you're doing it out, you're doing it and it's not fun for you, then like, what's, what's the point? Like I, I get, I get that. I get that mentality. I used to not get it. Like I was always like, you know, why aren't you getting up, you know, two hours before, (laughs) you know, like that. But especially now in recent years, I've really began to understand. And, And I'm, like and now I'm fine with it. The only people I kind of still kind of bothers me a little bit about that kind of stuff is when I have clients that come and they're like, "Oh man, we got to wake up at five a.m. or we got to." do I'm like, "Well, I mean, you are paying to get this, so let's. Right. Don't you want to put your most you know best foot forward? But right. you know, it goes. Uh-huh. It, it always it always comes down to, um, you know. Will will your will surpass your won't? You know, and for everybody, that's a different that's a different level. I was actually matter of fact, I kind of used that in the, in that elk hunt that I was just on in in September. Um, I used that mentality. I heard who was it? Uh, it was Mike Tomlin from the Pittsburgh Steelers, the coach, and he was giving a speech. And he said something like, hear this. It's not what you're capable of, but what you're willing to do. And I kept, I kept that mantra in my head because <laughs> there were so many days where I just didn't like want to climb. You know, when you're not having a good time, your mind's not there, your brain's not there, your body's tired, and you're not seeing animals on top of it. You're, the motivation is it's it's not there, and I there was plenty of times climbing up the mountain when I was like, I would just kept saying that to myself, you know, it's not it's not what you you know it's not what you're capable of, it's what you're willing to do, you know, because ninety nine point nine percent of us are far more capable than we are willing to push to, so right. Yeah. And that's, you know, the same mentality goes, you know, and I get there and like I said, I, I just came from a bear hunt that, you know, sat nine days and never saw a bear. It was brutal. The temperatures were horrible. The winds were horrible. Everything was wrong on that hunt. And some people were just, they're like, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm not hunting anymore. It's not worth it. It's not there. Why are you staying? You know, my mentality when I get to that point is it takes one second, one second of one day 
mm-hmm. is all it takes to change the entire hunt. You know, so if you're not there for that one second or one minute, you're not going to be successful. So you just have to put your mind in a whole different mindset and say, I'm going to do this no matter how boring, how miserable, how hot, how whatever. But if I want to be successful at this, I have to. Granted, this hunt I wasn't, but the next hunt it might be. You know, I may be 50 days into, you know, archery season and still haven't killed a deer and say, I don't want to go day 51. And then, you know, my cell camera sends me a picture standing right next to my tree the buck that I've been trying to kill all year, where if I wouldn't have, and I would have had that mentality, maybe day 51 was it. So you have to change that mentality. And that's part of it. That's hard with early season is because once you start early season, then you kind of want to keep going all the time, but you burn yourself out to a point. Um, And that's why you want to make early season easier. You know, one, like I said, with the water two food sources mm-hmm. that's that's a huge part that people um don't look at correctly that i believe is because they put in too many people think like farmers you know truly if you're putting in food plots if you're doing that kind of stuff we're deer farmers guys we're not, we're not really you know a farmer and so i look at it and say all right the farmer put his beans in this day mm-hmm. i'm gonna put my beans in three weeks later because my beans will still be green and they're going to want that protein out of the leaves after season starts where otherwise right now they're already picking beans here. Granted we had a drought and everything's miserable, but so everything turned early and all those beans are gone. So now those deer didn't even have those leaves. They didn't have that. It's just like corn, the same thing corn because they want that silky stage and that milk stage out of that corn is why they're in there eating that well that's already turning hard silk shrunk up so they're not in there as much they're using the corn more for cover so i like to plant you know food plots that kind of hit the whole year and i'll go in and i do certain clove just straight clover and if i have a bigger food plot like a third of it's going to be a clover brat or a clover um alfalfa and like a chicory mix. And then I'm going to move into the next field that's going to be um, some type of brassicas for that fall with, you know, maybe some wheat, different, that that early season. And then what I do is I will find that other mix that's going to carry me all the way through winter. After So I'll put my beans in, and then I will go overseed in those beans with a mix that has brassicas, has winter wheat, um, it's it's winter rye, different sources of food in there to get them through the winter. Plus, it's got that early season, and I will overseed right in those beans. Um, you know, usually come the end of July, first part of August. That way, when those beans start changing, I have that. I can keep that deer pattern so he doesn't move off when we want to start hunting him. Right, and when he's gone. So I, I think that's the other thing is we have to look as hunters for early season. And again, early season is one of the best times to kill these really good deer that are still on a pattern. And so you have to look at that source. You have to look at your food source and what type of food you're putting in there for that animal to eat along with water. Um, you know, so 
there are a couple of things, and again, setting up your stands for all the crazy wins because early season you're going to get them all. Right, right. Uh, you know, so I, I think there's some of the the basic things, but then you know, if you really want to get into a few of the technical things, and I don't know how much you've ever done of it, um, but calling, deer calling in the early season. I've done quite and a bit I, of it actually. I'm. Uh... I've always been a a student of it. Um, Peter Fiducia introduced it to me many, many years ago. And I've kind of always been a fan because I've had a lot of success with it. Right. So. And and a lot of people don't think of that either, uh, especially, you know, if I'm out doing seminars, I'm doing shows, I'm talking to people, and, you know, we start talking, they'll stop and talk to me about rattling. And they're like, well... Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. You get to the end of October into that first part of November, and it doesn't get any better than that. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I said, I, I can argue. I said, it's it's great then, but I said, if I want to kill that one certain deer looking at him, I said, man, that early season, if you do it right, I said, you can rattle in some great bucks. I mean, you look at your trail camera photos now, or you go to a trail camera site and you see constant pictures of, hey, the rut's coming. Look, the bucks are already fighting. No, it has nothing to do with the rut. It's with the testosterone that after that velvet is shed, mm-hmm. they keep building that testosterone. But they're trying to figure out whose territory is whose, who is the new stud in town that's going to take over that territory. Right. And so usually it'll bring that, you know, that one stud that's around there checking to see. Who's trying to take things over? So I I like to do um, more of a social grunt if I'm going to grunt and and the light sparring. I just don't get carried away. It's more that tick-tock clack, you know, and um, not really get super aggressive in that early season. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I agree with you. Absolutely. You got to always got to cater. I always had this, like, philosophy. Um that you got to create the illusion, you know, think about what's going on in the woods any given day, any given time of the year, and then create the illusion of what can possibly transpire. Like you said, there's not going to be, you know, knockdown, you know, fights like crazy, um, aggressive fighting sounds going on in the early season, but there is quite a bit of sparring. There's quite a bit of, um, you know, jockeying for position. So catering to the situation makes perfect sense. So, yeah, that's why, like I said, I like to use that, you know, the social, more social grunt at that time, because it's more who you are. And that's just your basic brat, you know, that, that people normally use, um, and that's another thing is I tell people you should really go online and learn the different types of grunts because there's so many different types out there as far as aggression, um, as far as uh, challenge grunts, as far as, you know, social grunts, different things, and learn when to use them and what's the best time. Because if you're not doing that properly, just like if you go out there and do a knockdown drag out fight, you're probably not going to rattle in a lot of deer in that early season. But if you do that, 
you know, tick tock clack little spire and stuff with your social grunts. Hey, then, then you're looking, this is like you said, I, I, I like that saying, you know, make that illusion is that's what's happening at this time of year. That's the illusion. And so it's, I don't think there's also a rhyme or reason to how long you have to do it. People are like, well, how long do you rattle? How long do you, it's not like you look at your watch and say, I got to do 30 seconds then I got to wait for five minutes and do another. If you've ever watched a real fight or, or, you know, seen one or go Google it and look at that fight, um, there's no rhyme or reason. One might be one minute long. The next one might be five minutes long or the next one might be 10 seconds long. Right. So it, it's all about that illusion of how often you're doing it. It's just, you have to be careful of how you're doing it. So you don't get busted in that tree stand. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's easy to do. <laughs> Been there plenty of times sitting there rattling the horns and all of a sudden you hear that running, you turn around and standing there looking at you and yep. nothing you can do about it, but stand there and hold the antlers and say, man, am I an idiot? So, and that's, we all make mistakes, everybody, especially in the, you know, early season as we're, we're learning the process every year and as a new hunter, but that also, I believe separates, um, not really the good hunters from the bad hunters, but it, it, it separates experience. the difference in hunters, the experience. Yes. Because it's, it is, you go through that and make mistakes. Don't look at it as, man, I'm a bad hunter. This is, I, I screw this up all the time. No, look at it as a learning experience. Learn from that and say, man, I, I just can't do that again because it hasn't worked for me three times now. So how do I change that and focus on that and make it work? Right. And sometimes that early season is the best time to really try to practice that and do that and become that better hunter mm-hmm. instead of waiting till that really happens. So and there's a lot of great things that happen right now in this early season. And right now in, in this Midwest, I think, you know, today is um, – first week of October and we've got a huge cold front that just hit. Like I said, I mean, we went from, you know, 70, 80 degrees to mid forties, I think tonight. And we've got a youth hunt starting tomorrow here in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're, you know, bow hunter out bow hunting, you can, but you still have to wear blaze orange. But I really think that tonight through Monday night, possibly Tuesday night, cause then we start warming up again on Wednesday, but I think these next four nights, you're going to see some absolute giants die here in Wisconsin. Yeah. And through the whole Midwest, actually, not just Wisconsin, but all these that are open, um, this cold front, it's, it's going to, it's going to be very brutal on, on the deer population, (laughs) on the buck population, because they're going to be moving. Right. Right. Using some of this early season techniques with, that light sparring, rattling, those social grunts, the, you know, looking at those food sources, going through your cameras and, and checking those out and figuring out, okay, man, this, these deer really like this food source right now. They were, weren't here two weeks ago because, you know, deer started to disperse here over the last month. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden they're going to new places. I've got deer that have moved to different food sources that I go, 
man, I had this deer on a camera down here, three quarters of a mile away. Now it's down here on this food source and consistent. So why still hunt it on that food source it was on all summer? Right. It's time to change and go to that. So use that to your advantage if you're in a state that can use trail cameras. Yep, 100%. We can't. <laughs> and uh, they're starting to change in a lot of places. I mean, they've actually talked about getting rid of them on a lot of public land in different places. Yep. Um, so it's there's a change coming. Yep, and, uh, 100%. You know, is it, is it going to be for the better? I don't know. You know, it, it's, I remember back in the old days, you know, it was just, you went out and sat down and man, a good buck came through and you shot it. And then two weeks later, you're out doing something. You saw a buck that was better and go, man, Yep. you know, now it's, and I'm only going to wait for that one or two deer because right. they're the two best deer that I have on the property. So has it helped increase some growing of big deer and doing more qdma for big deer yes but it's also i think in one aspect hurt us and that now people think that's the norm yeah you know they're gonna shoot big deer and and shoot that um giant that they have on their property and get upset when they don't and that's that's really truly not the norm it's hunting is supposed to be fun Right. So you go out and you have fun. You don't just say, oh, I'm, I'm only, you know, shooting one deer and otherwise I'm not shooting anything. I, I tried that a few years ago and my neighbor ended up shooting that deer. And boy, I had to go back and rethink a lot of things. Now, I didn't really even pay attention to what other deer were on my property or what was around or what I was going to hunt and do. I was just like, dang, what, what do I do? Yeah. Um, yep. and so it definitely takes uh, away from it. It does. It does. And, uh, you know, obviously this is a little off subject from the early season, but I, uh, was doing a seminar years ago down in Illinois and I'll never forget this. This always stuck with me, um, because I was doing a, uh, seminar on age or antler size and, I truly look at age. Yes, most deer get bigger with age. There are some deer that just never do. They just genetically don't have it that are ever going to be a giant deer, right? right? And so I was doing this seminar in Illinois talking about all the differences and stuff and said, you know, we still have to keep hunting fun. So you find that older deer that's never going to fit the criteria of, you know, whatever you put on your farm as far as antler size and you go out and you shoot it. So you have fun. I mean, you're paying taxes, you're putting in food plots, you're buying licenses, you're doing all this stuff, spending time with your kids and then say, eh, you know what? No, you can't shoot anything. And I'll never forget this kid came up to me afterwards and we were talking and he says, I said, so you have any luck hunting? He says, I actually quit hunting. I said, well, you're not very old. He says, nope. He says, I'm 19 years old. He says, I quit hunting when I was uh, 14 years old. And I said, well, why is that? He said, because my dad had on the farm that we could not shoot a deer unless it was 150 inches or better. Oh, Jesus. 
And I said, okay. I said, how many 150, and his dad was standing there. And I said, well, how many 150 inch deer um, have you killed off that farm? And the dad says, we've killed one in 10 years. I said, then pretty high expectations. And he says, yeah, he says, both my sons quit hunting. Um, he said, and my brother quit hunting with me when I did this. And uh, he says, the best thing I ever did was come and listen to you talk about this. He said, because I realized, you know, I've got some old deer that are only eight pointers or they're really, you know, junky six pointers, whatever, that are 135, 140 inch deer. Mm-hmm. And I'm not letting anybody shoot them. He says, and all I'm doing is passing those genetics. I said, well, you know, for people to say you're going to take that genetic out of the gene pool and wild deer herd, that's almost impossible. Mm -hmm. It's almost impossible to do. But as somebody like myself that manages their deer, it it gives us a peace of mind when we say we're going to take a cull deer out. It's, It's really giving us an excuse to be able to kill that deer and still be happy, which is fine. I have no issues with that. And so we do that. And I say, yeah, this deer is genetically never going to be anything. Well, he's already four years old and he's only 125 inch deer. He's not going to be genetically anything. I would rather have that shot than somebody shoot a three-year-old 150 inch deer because they put 150 inch minimum Mm-hmm. So they kill that three-year-old 150-inch deer and took out that deer that's going to be possibly a Boone and Crockett down the road. Now, again, you pay for your license. You pay the taxes. It's your land. Personally, I don't care what you shoot. Right. Okay, that's my own personal. We are out there to have fun. Go out and have fun. Shoot, shoot what you want. Um, kill what you want to kill and be happy with it. Mm-hmm. Don't make excuses for what you killed. Be happy with it and say, yeah, I had a lot of fun. That's it. But if you are managing and that's what you're managing for, then you have to look at the other end of the spectrum and and still have fun with it and find those deer that are never genetically going to be great and let people kill them. Or they're just like this kid, they're going to quit hunting. Right. Um, And that's not what we want. We want to recruit more hunters and have fun. Right. um, And do it. And these kids, that's why you see this weekend, this early in October, that we have that youth season here in Wisconsin. It's, again, the deer are more patternable. They're easier to kill right now before they get into that little October lull. Mm-hmm. And and we have to figure out how to hunt them harder, a little bit smarter, I should say, not harder. Hunt them smarter during that time frame. So right now they're still on that food source. They're on their water. They're, they're, they're patterns. So in a way it's good to have that season. I hear a lot of people complain about it. And especially this weekend with so many deer getting killed, but you know what? It gets those kids involved. It gets them hooked on the outdoors. They're going to see a bunch of deer because they're still moving. Um, let them have fun. Right. It's, you know, let them have fun. And, you know, the early season is the best time to do that because they can still have fun and still pattern that deer right now. Absolutely. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, let's say guys that are hunting public land or hunting bigger timber and they don't really have ag or, you know, a definitive food source to, to hunt off of. What are some of the things 
that you are paying attention to to pick a site to hang a stand or to um to hunt from really in general well if i'm hunting public there's three three things and i think these three things are good through the entire year um one i'm gonna obviously uh, i'm you know gonna go to um one of you know the sites out there and find out the topography of this land and i want to find water mm-hmm. and if it's a creek if it's a pond if it's whatever you know public land still has water go through it right um i want to find that water if you are in the midwest i want to find those acorns um or apple trees if there's any apples acorns and apples are their food source in there they're that's where you're going to find them um and i want to find the ridges i want to find the funnels not really the ridges i want to find the funnels coming to and from those ridges and then from there once i find that now i want to find out when i get in there what's an open area what's closed what is their bedding areas um get in there and scout that and look for that but let's talk about those let's talk about those pieces before i let you keep going on because i think a lot of people hear guys like you and me talk and we talk about funnels and we talk about bedding areas and we talk about this and that and not necessarily does it's not that any that everybody knows what it is that we're talking about or how to recognize what those are so if you're trying to recognize bedding cover can you Give us details as to what somebody would consider bedding cover if they're looking at it. Because, you know, it could just look to me like another track of woods. Right. Um, For me, when I'm going in to look, uh, I want to find what I call that first shelf. Mm -hmm. So if if you look at possibly the highest area on that property, on that public area, and then it starts dropping off. There's usually what you call a first shelf. So it kind of drops and then it levels off again before it drops down. So to a, a bench. Bottom. Yep, like a bench. Okay. Um, and on that bench, usually if, you know, you have, at this time of year, deer will transition to that south side because you have that north, northwest wind, west wind, okay? Mm-hmm. Um so what that what happens is they can smell what's on the other side of that ridge but they can see what's below them coming mm-hmm. so as they sit on that bench that is going to be if you find that real thick a lot of down trees um some of the thickest brush there is in there um just above creek bottom that is what i'm looking for is the concentration of the thickest area because that's where they're going to bed especially in the you know this fall will come around because then that's called thermal cover when it's really thick in there they can get that thermal cover from because it holds in the heat because it blocks out so much wind it'll hold in their body heat where in the summer most of them are on the other side because you have the south wind so they can smell what's coming from the south and they can see what's coming from the north so they switch those sides throughout the year so right now 
most of these deer, if not all of these deer in this area should be transitioned, you know, to that south facing area. And so when I walk in there, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at that topo map and I'm looking for, okay, where is the top? Where's the top of that hill? Where is, where does it start dropping off, you know, away from, you know, the nearest roads, away from the best foot travel, those areas. Where is that area? Because that's where I want to start looking for that bedding area. That is more than likely where those deer are going to be um, back in there. And it just, it gives them a better escape route when they're on that first bench or that first shelf, as I call it. Because if they see something below them, they pop out the top. Mm -hmm. But it's also easy for them because what they do is they still follow that ridge line, that, that bench, they follow that then to their feeding areas because they can still smell from the one side, see down below them. So they transition. Then you have to find that transition where it somewhat opens up in there and where that food source is away from that bedding. So that that's where they're going to transition from point A to point B right. from bedding to food. So first thing I want to find that bedding, then from there I want to find their food. Is it apples? Is it an acorn ridge uh, with a bunch of oaks? What is it? Um, and how are they now looking at that? How are they getting from this point to that point? And that's where I want to set up. 100%. So uh, we both mentioned funnels. I, I think it sounds like it might be... Um, obvious what that means but in in so many words let's describe how to identify what a funnel is because it could be a number of different things it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific thing there's a lot of things that would funnel so right yeah there's a million things like on one of ours i've got a stand that i call the funnel stand because one side is nothing but a huge rock face cliff. And then it drops off of there down in um, to an area where there's a pond. So there's only one area that that deer can funnel through that's about 100 yards wide. Right. So to get from point A to point B, they have to go from, from one side of bedding to the other side of bedding or food. They can't go over that cliff mm. unless they go way, way around. So the only way they can do that because they don't want to expose themselves down by the pond, they can't get through there. So that is a funnel. They have to go through there. Yes. The other fun the other funnels that I look for is, you know, other than a forced funnel, you know, that I guess you could call that as a forced funnel. Mm -hmm. A natural funnel, you look at where the woods or if there's roads, something um change in a Location where um, the land, so you've got a high point on each side. Mm -hmm. Okay, so those deer will drop off of that, you know, to get from point A to point B again and head down through that, what I call a funnel, or through that low area to get to the next area or walk those ridges around. There's, there's a pinch point there where, where a ditch comes up, um, where the topography just changes, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, if you understand what I'm saying, if you want to 
jump in. And yeah, but basically what you're saying here. The, I, I think the easiest way to describe, okay, we're talking about white-tailed deer, so I'll say the right. word deer, but animals in general. But deer are going to take the path of least resistance. When they're moving from point A to point B, they're going to use, they're uniquely designed to use as little energy as possible. They're always about energy conservation. And that's, they need to do that to survive winters and so on and so forth and to survive in the wild, period. So it's identifying those points like you were trying to paint the picture where the likelihood of them passing through a distance from point A to point B where that like uh, that you can shoot across or that you can um, effectively cover with your stand site or whatever the case may be. It's exactly the way it sounds. It's taking a bigger area and funneling it down to a smaller area that is the most likely for an animal to pass through. So that I think yeah. I think that's the way I I would put it, but Yeah, I, I agree. I mean it's it's the path of least resistance. So I mean if he has to go on one side is a great big hill and on the other side is all kinds of down timber, thick, nasty that he's got to work his way through. He's going to go between those two. Right. Exactly. Like you'll often find, uh, well, for more reasons than, than just this, but, um, you'll often find when you find edge cover and edge cover is where one habitat type meets another habitat type. That can be big woods meets the swamp field edge whatever there's always going to be a trail there and um and and signs of feeding and stuff like that because that's usually where the you know the growth is that deer will browse on and so on and so forth but um it's also when you're talking about like swamps and stuff like that it's also the path of least resistance and those deer are going to use that as a travel corridor and that by default, kind of makes a funnel. So that's my two cents on that. Yeah, and and funnels, you know, I, I love to hunt. Um, I will change things up when you get into that, especially here, you know, that end of October, from probably the 25th, 26th of October, um, through that Oh, I don't know, 4th, 5th of November, because you've got a big seeking phase at that time. Mm-hmm. And so as those bucks are starting to seek, what I'll do is I'll still sit a food plot in the morning or afternoon. But if I'm hunting middays, and that is usually when, you know, your biggest deer during the rut are actually killed. Um, there's a lot of big deer killed midday. Mm-hmm. And that's when I will transition to those funnel stands and hunt that funnel because they're not on the food source anymore. They're not on the water source. They're seeking. So they're going to hit those funnels because they have to get from one bedding area to the other bedding area to check for does. 
or from point A to point B, they have to go through that funnel at some point. Correct. Correct. Um, I guess, so going back to my original question, sorry, because I took us off on a big tangent. Um, You know, all right, so we talked about looking for funnels. We talked about looking for food sources. We talked about looking for water. We talked about identifying bedding. What are where? What are some of the final things that you see that say, "Okay, I'm going to hang my tree stand here"? Is it scrapes? Is it rubs? Is it a, a certain amount of trail systems coming through? Um, you know, given that the the wind is right, that's kind of hard to paint that picture. But it's kind of all all of the above. Um, first, I try to get as far away from everybody as possible you know the, the farther you go away from pressure the better chance you're going to have and so you know if that means packing back in a half mile or three quarters of a mile mm-hmm. so be it but when i get back in there um trail systems and scrapes are one of the biggest things that i, I really look for um and you know that's a big misconception about scrapes too is I'm hunting those even right now because mm-hmm. if you if I do a lot of mock scrape work when I start those mock scrapes I usually start you know in in June refreshing those but a lot of those are already fresh because once they become a community scrape those deer are hitting that even in velvet they're hitting it you know deer are always leaving set to see who's there and who isn't it's just that they're not rubbing their horns on, on the or their antlers on the trees, right? They're they're leaving more scent than anything else at that time. So they're still on those right now and they're starting to pick up on those. So if I'm looking at a public land going back in there, I'm trying to find those big scrapes, the biggest scrapes you can find. You know, you find one that looks, oh my god, as big as a pickup truck box, and they usually aren't, but that's you know the big saying. Mm-hmm. That is a community scrape. And right. so that one is getting used year round. That is one of the first things that I focus on and look at the rest of the scrapes that start popping up here, probably in the next three weeks, two weeks. Um, they're, they're your scent scrapes for your bucks to start trying to figure out looking for does coming in already. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other ones, if, if we're hunting early season all the way through that community scrape is going to be getting cranked on. So I'm looking for that trail system where the best trail system is, especially in that, you know, the food area, and then looking for those scrapes. And uh, when you put all those together, usually uh, things are going to happen for you. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. Um, I'm trying to think. I had another question that I completely forgot about, and I didn't write down. I should have. Um Tree stand height. Do you feel like in the early season, because there is quite a bit more foliage still on the trees, do you feel like you still try to get up high or, or do you feel like it's necessary because you got the cover? Um, do you have a preference in that at all? Or is it just hanging well, where you think you, you feel like you're comfortable? <laughs> I think a lot of it's hanging where you feel comfortable, but I believe 
you know, a lot of my stands on private have gone to box blinds, different blinds. You know, they conceal a lot of scent. They do a lot of different things. But if I'm hunting out of state, if I'm hunting, you know, public grounds, I'm, I'm going to take that tree stand with sticks and I've got sticks that go as high as 20 feet. Mm-hmm. I believe a lot of it is the location. If you're high on a ridge and you know that that scent is going to get carried off that ridge and you're not as concerned about that wind when you've got a good steady wind and you know that it's not going to suck back and forth and do its thing, then I don't believe you have to get as high. Mm. Um, I think when you're getting down into other areas, if you're you know, getting close to that uh, bench or that first shelf or you start even dropping in a little more, you got to get higher. You got to get, you know, as, as high as you can to get away from some of that scent. You have to get away from the deer that are coming off of that ridge that can possibly see you. So I think you have to get the, the lower you are, the higher I believe you have to be. Got it. Um, I think that's all I had for you, man. <laughs> we we kind of went through it pretty quick, but, uh, yeah. You got any other words of wisdom for, uh, for anybody that's going to start venturing out this week? You know, you just go out and try, you put your best foot forward. You, you give it your best effort. Don't get discouraged because if you get discouraged, it just, uh, I've been down that road too many times and, it, it leads to you making too many mistakes. You just mentally keep your head in the game, stay positive about it, and it'll happen. I mean, it's uh, good things will happen for those, you know, those who wait and uh, have the patience. It, it's going to pay off for you. So just uh, go out and have the best of luck. And like I always say, you know, shoot straight. And if you can't shoot straight, you might as well shoot often. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. All right, well, I appreciate your time, Art, man, and I, I wish you good luck, and uh, tell Michelle, I said good luck on her on her deer, and uh, hope some things turn around for you this season and you end up yeah. having a good good season. Thank you. We appreciate it, and uh, as, soon as, as soon as we get some bone on the ground, I'll be sending you some photos. Awesome, man. Look forward to it. Talk All to right, you buddy. Soon. Bye. You bet. Good luck to you. Thanks. Bye.